0: We are continuing this process of looking at worship. The last couple of weeks, we looked at how uh, we, should, we should worship privately. Um, there should be times of, of family worship, private worship. When I say private worship, I mean individual quiet time type uh, worship, where we're reading our Bible, where we're praying alone, where we're doing things like that. And then also, the Bible teaches that we should Worship together as a family, and we uh, we specifically looked at Deuteronomy chapter six and saw how God uh, told us to to not only for us to worship Him, but to to for our children, for us to teach our children to worship Him, and the truths that He teaches uh, and that we learn, we are to teach to our children, and they're to teach it to their children, and so on. And so that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. And this week, we are going to look at corporate worship, how we should worship together. And we're going to look at uh, several verses that are spread out. And last week, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and camped out there and stayed there the whole time. And this week, we're going to look at um, more passages throughout Scripture. And the reason that we're going to do this is, and we're going to stick primarily to the New Testament. um, The reason we're going to do this is because we're not given... Many examples in the New Testament, um, especially once Acts gets here, the church begins, we're not given many examples and looks into one worship service. We're we're told a lot about how churches should act and what they should do and what individuals who follow Jesus, how they should live their lives and how they should worship God and things like that. But when it comes to corporate worship, there are some passages and we're going to look at them this morning, um, but there aren't any that just cover everything in detail. And so what I want us to do is to look at some different passages uh, that will form a mosaic of what worship should look like. Um, Before we get into this, I I do want to remind you of what worship is. Worship is, is when it comes to worshiping God, worship is anything that we do to show God his worth, to reflect God's glory, to reflect his his worth, his worthiness of worship. And so this can happen, as we mentioned, uh, privately or publicly. This can happen uh, in our homes, in the marketplace, in a church building. This can happen through singing songs, as we just did, through playing instruments. Uh, this can happen through preaching God's Word. We're going to look at a lot of ways that it can happen, um, but it can also happen through many forms of obedience. It can happen by the way that we live our lives for him. And so when it comes to worship, um, I want us to, to not just be limited to a view of worship as singing songs to God. Worship is much more than that, and, and we're going to look at some of those things. And, and remember, as we look at these verses, we're talking about when we worship together, corporate worship. And so uh, just keep that in mind as we run through these. If you will turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and this will be up on the screen also, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and as you're turning there, I want to tell you that we talked about private worship last week, and private worship, that worship that we do by ourselves or with our families, that in our homes, in a, in a discreet setting, those, that type of worship is what fuels the fire for healthy and strong corporate worship. If we don't worship all week and then we come here expecting this amazing worship service, uh, that might happen, it might not happen. But if we're worshiping all week and we're growing closer to God all week and then we come here and we're singing songs of praise to Him and we're hearing God's Word taught and we're uh, participating in Sunday school or different ways uh, that we have to worship, then it's going to just fuel that fire. And it's going to make corporate worship even better. And let's look at what Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 say. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, Here we see that this is together, not neglecting to meet together. So when we're talking about corporate worship, when we're talking about worshiping together, this is something that the author of Hebrews is is telling us, is commanding us to not neglect. We should worship together. This should be something that we do regularly. We should not get out of the habit of this, as is the habit of some, to neglect it. Um, it, And look at these one another's, but encouraging one another. We're going to look at encouraging a little bit later, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've talked about several times since I've been here how we can't do all of those one another's that are in scripture without us being together. And so you can't love one another if you're not around other people. We, We can't encourage one another if we're not around other people. And one of the best ways for us to do that is for us to gather together corporately as a large group to worship God. And, and I say a large group, That I guess that depends on which church you're in, right? And how many people are in that church. Because if you go to a church where there's just a handful of people, that's still corporate worship, right? It's still public worship, um, but it, it may be a small number of people. But the worship can be just as effective or more so. I was telling, I think I was, it was Ken, I think, that I was telling recently that when I used to work for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, um, one Sunday, I was at this church um, south of Eudora, Arkansas, I, I, and still in Arkansas. Eudora is like three miles from the border so of Louisiana, so you know that there's, there's not much room to go further south. And so I was uh, at this church, and that Sunday, uh, I preached this message. Not this message, but a specific message. And while I was preaching that message, There were six people in the room, five of them were weeping, and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew the Spirit of God was moving, and afterwards, they told me that the Wednesday night before, they had decided to close the doors of their church, that they weren't going to be a church anymore, but after the sermon I preached, it was like God telling them, no, this isn't what we're supposed to do, and they kept the doors open, they're still open today, and they've grown, and so that's been awesome, but the funny thing is, is that, or sad, I don't know which way to look at it, but... I thought, well, I mean, I'm preaching at a different church next week. I'm using the same message <laughs> because uh, obviously that, that was power packed, you know, and I'm going to preach the same message. And the next week there were several hundred people at the church. And so I thought, I mean, if it was good with six, how good is it going to be with three to four hundred? And so uh, I preached the sermon and there were almost as many people asleep as there are here today. And so it's important to remember that when, we are draw, when we're getting together, when we're being together and encouraging one another and, and worshiping together, that it's not just about what we as individuals bring to the table. It's about who we're worshiping. It's about who is going to be there to move and to stir and yes, we're to stir up one another, but it's the Holy Spirit that's within us that is sparking that and igniting that and, and seeing that that is happening. Uh, so let's, let's also look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And again, if, if there are any passages in the New Testament that really describe a worship service or what a church should look like when they're worshiping together, maybe it's this one, but... It's important to remember that this is just a snapshot of a worship service that happened right after Pentecost and it tells us what is happening in the church right after um, Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples. And so this is right after that and so when we look other places in Scripture it's not um, it looks differently than this at times but these are there are some some principles and some characteristics of worship that we can get from this and that we can apply directly today. And so I think it's important for us to read this together. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see here this beautiful image of what the church looks like when it's worshiping together, when it's living life together, when it's... Being together. And this is an, more evidence of the benefits of doing things together, corporately. And so, in the, in the past couple weeks, we talked about the importance of worshiping by ourselves, having that time alone with God, going to our prayer closet, having that quiet time, things like that. But also, last week, we looked at the importance of family worship, the importance of moms and dads to raise their children to know who Jesus is and to come to know him one day and how the importance that parents play and grandparents, guardians, others who invest in the lives of children, the important roles that they play and, and why family worship is so important. And, and here we see that it goes beyond that to the gathering together of all the saints in a, in a local area. Now, as we work through scripture, what we see is, is that there's a church at Philippi, there's a church at Thessalonica, there's a church at Corinth, that all these places where Paul and others went and planted these churches, started these churches, um, that they are worshiping together as one body in those areas. And so most of what we see done, of course, this is the very beginning of the church, right? There, These are all the Christians that there are, um, but as things continue and the gospel spreads, local churches are started there. And so while I think that it can be healthy and beneficial to um, stay home and and, watch somebody on another person preaching on TV who would probably do a much better job than me and not stutter through his words like I just did, uh, or listen to a podcast, I think those things are very helpful, very beneficial, but they do not replace... Gathering together with a local body and worshiping together, and it cannot replace that, and that's just the the truth of the scripture and the truth of the matter is how can we do the one another's if we're not together. So what I want us to do today is I want us to look at uh, six different things, and we're not going to get to go into details obviously on all six of these things, but I want us to look at six different characteristics that are common biblical occurrences when people gather together to worship. This, these are things that happen in corporate worship when people worship together in the scriptures. And again, that we could go to the Old Testament, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'm, I will reference some Old Testament stuff, but I really want us to focus on Acts and afterwards, because that's when the New Testament church is developed and where we can apply things the most directly. Um, so the first thing that I want us to look at, so common practices of corporate worship, that's just when we worship together, these are common practices. Number one is praying. And so if you're taking notes, um, we'll have six things and then each thing will have one scripture, although there are many scriptures that could go with them. Um, some, some might have more than one, but praying, if, if you will turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 12. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it said that they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so even in that passage we just saw, well, all of these things were pretty much in that passage we just saw, but um, the first one that I want us to look at is praying. And in Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter is in prison. And we've talked about this in our discipleship team meeting recently. Peter is in prison, and as Peter is um, in prison, an angel appears to him and is breaking him out of jail, but Peter thinks it's just a vision. And when he realized what was going on, this is Acts chapter 12, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Why do you think it is that the angel showed up in the first place? Well, I think Because Peter loved the Lord and, you know, had a pretty good relationship with him. But also, I don't think it's a coincidence that these people were gathered together praying for him. And another thing that I want to point out is we've talked about recently the importance of private prayer. But here is some public prayer. And it's done in a private house. But because of the the, uh, culture at the time, you couldn't build a church at this moment and worship openly in it. That's why Peter's in jail is because he's worshiping Jesus. And so this is about as public as their prayer could get at that time in in, uh, worshiping Jesus without persecution. And so they're gathered together, and that's the important thing here, is it it doesn't matter where you gather together. Can worship happen in a barn? Absolutely. We have the freedom and the blessings to be able to meet here in this incredible building that houses everything we need to do and and more. Um, And and we have the opportunity to worship together in this building. And and part of that is we have the privilege to be able to come here and pray in freedom. But they didn't have that opportunity. And so one of the things that we need to do, and I've kind of ordered this in the way that we start a service, is what's the first thing we do when we begin our services? Men's prayer. Our Sunday morning worship services where we invite the... Uh, men to come down and pray for their families and our church, and, and the deacons lead us in that prayer. And so um, that's a biblical thing for us to get together and for us to pray together and for us to have those moments of corporate prayer. Um, but that's just one way that we can worship. And remember, these are just six examples. There are so many ways that we could not exhaust the different the number of ways that we could worship together. But um, continuing, number two, another common biblical occurrence is singing and playing music. And if we were to go to the Psalms, I mean, that's what they are. They're, it's a book full of songs and, and poems that are to be read and sung um, oftentimes by the choir. It, it, it will even say by the choir, um, to be performed by the choir leaders, to be performed with these specific instruments. If you turn to Psalm 50, uh, you, you would like that, uh, Neil, because it says to clang the cymbals, And then it says it a second time, and it, and it adds the word loud, the loud symbols. And so you just play it louder. It'll be all right. Um, and, and so in looking at the Psalms, what we see Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm of these songs to God. And so we, we see the importance in the Old Testament, of course, of singing. And there, I mean, the Song of Moses, there, even outside of the Psalms, there are songs in the Old Testament. But then we get to the New Testament, and this hasn't left. This is still present. And if you look at Ephesians 5.19, and we'll go ahead and look at a couple of different passages here. But Ephesians 5.19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so this is a way for us to worship. Uh, How many of you would say that there have been moments in your life that during singing a song or hearing a song even, you felt extremely close to the Lord? How many of you have ever felt close to God through a song? And so it's just a part of how God created us. There's something about the song that rises up in us. And, And that's not just a cultural thing. It's not just an American thing right? Every culture has song. Every culture has their own way of doing things. I remember when I was taking a missions course when I was a lot younger, uh, I think I was like maybe 21 or so. Um, It was in California, and one of the things that we had to do is listen to these different ways that different cultures worship. And there was this uh, one Mongolian chant that I, it didn't even, it sounded like a bullfrog, really. But to them, it it was beautiful. It was worshipful, right? That's how they worship through that type of song. And so each culture might have its own way of worshiping, but we, worshiping through song is common. Let's look at Colossians 3:16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And notice that even these verses can't even talk about worship without. Naming some of the other ways to worship, but back to it. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, how can we worship? And Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we see so much in these two verses. First of all, I want to remind you of something I've said already, and I'm going to continue to say just because I want it to sink in, is that worship happens in a myriad of ways. And here it's it's said whatever we do, if we're doing it to the glory of God, right? If we're doing it with thanksgiving in our hearts, of course this would uh, exclude anything that God has previously told us not to do. So we're not to sin and say, thank you, God, for this illegal drug. Or something to that effect. Thank you, God, that my car goes 120 down um, Highway 71, or something to that effect. We're, but when we live our lives within the boundaries that God has created, then whatever we do, do it to the glory of God, and that's worship. But specifically here, what I want us to look at is, as in Ephesians 5:19, I want us to see that in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 that we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so when we're singing these songs, we're not supposed to sing, I've got joy, 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 down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. No, I've got joy, 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 down in my heart. Down in my heart. Right? We're, we're supposed to sing it with joy. And now, there are s- laments. There are songs, and the psalms are full of these. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. We, we hung up our instruments. We're not playing anymore it, it, because they were in Babylon. They were in... they were. Uh, in trouble they had been taken in exile and they were singing these songs of lament of sadness but in a way where they trusted God and they were bringing their sadness to God in song and so I'm not saying we shouldn't sing sad songs what I'm saying is when we sing songs of joy we should sing them with joy we should sing them in a, from the heart in worship the heart matters when we're singing our songs. We can look at places in the Old Testament when God had commanded the people to do certain festivals and certain sacrifices. And there are times when he comes and says, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all this, these festivals and these shows. But who who told him to who told him to do it? God. But they weren't doing it with the right heart. They were just going through the motions. They were just sinning, 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 and then coming to the festival to worship. But you can't do that. We have to truly come to God with all of our hearts and ready to worship, ready to sing songs to Him, ready to celebrate Him. And so that's what we do, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so praying, singing, and playing music, um, and then three, giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, there's so many passages in the New Testament that talk about giving financially uh, to the Lord that everything that we have is his, um, but there's this specific passage I want us to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where um, Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to be ready to give this gift that they have uh, decided to give together, And he's telling them not to do it like begrudgingly, but to do it joyfully. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. One of the ways that we worship just as we pray just as we sing is by giving, and it's evidence of where our heart is, that we have God in mind, that we have his work in mind, and when you give in our church, I can't speak for every church, but when you give in our church, then we can tell you exactly where 100% of the money that you are giving is going. We can tell you that we are giving 10% immediately to the cooperative program which is the way that Southern Baptists do missions it, from here to the ends of the earth. We could tell you that 10% goes directly to that. We could tell you how much goes to our local association so we can help other churches in need in, the, in our local area and help to do missions in our local area. We could tell you how much goes right here to do uh, to the BCM in Fort Smith. We could tell you how much goes to do the, a block party or Acts 1-8 in years past. We could tell you... Exactly where the pennies go, how much I get paid, how much um, we give when someone plays the piano—you, you can see all of that in detail. And it's our responsibility as individuals to faithfully give what God has asked, and that might be different for each one of us. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called a tithe, which is a tenth, and that is brought into the New Testament and mentioned in the New Testament, and. In the Old Testament, they were required to give a tenth of their income to the church at that time. But there were other offerings on top of that. It wasn't just 10%. And then you get to the New Testament, and it says that we, everything that we have is the Lord's. Every single penny that we have, we have to pray and ask God, how do we give this? How do we use this for your glory? And can, can you buy a TV for the glory of God? Absolutely. Absolutely if that's a way that you and your family enjoy life and you host and entertain and are hospitable to others, as long as you are using that for uh, God's glory and not just for wrong things and bad things, every penny we spend can go to the glory of God. And so giving is a way that not only can, in our private lives, we can give and worship, but together, we as a church come up with a way that we are going to spend that money It's guided and directed by our leaders, by our finance team, but we as a church decide together on how to spend that money and how to spend it on missions and how to spend it on lights. I mean, one of the things that we have done recently is we have started turning off the air conditioners when we leave the building, and over the past few months, we have saved $600 a month by turning off the air conditioners compared to where we were at this time last year, and so it's a little warmer sometimes during the week uh, or when, you know, it' wasn't turned on Wednesday night. And by the time we left youth group, it was 88 degrees upstairs. Um, So, but we can, we'll get better at that since we're getting used to turning off the uh, lights and air in that way. And And I just mentioned that because you don't just have a responsibility to be good stewards as individuals. We have a responsibility as a church to be good stewards and to use God's money to his glory. You are responsible for your obedience in giving we are responsible for the church's obedience in giving. We as a church. And I, as a leader, am also held to a higher standard and a higher responsibility for that. And so giving is a way that we worship. And then, of course, what I'm doing right now, teaching, preaching, and reading scriptures is number four. Um, This is, of course, in the Old Testament also, but here in the New Testament, it is common. It shows up again and again and again and again every time we see public worship almost we see the, the teaching, preaching, or reading of, of Scripture. And in First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul tells Timothy these things. Command and teach these things. He's talking to Timothy. This is what Timothy is gifted in. And so he's talking specifically to him. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, That's what I'm doing right now. To exhortation, to teaching. So to encouragement, to challenge, rebuke, but rebuke for the sake of encouragement and spiritual growth. um, To to teaching, The, the scripture is important. And everything that we should do should be centered around God's word and the way it tells us to live our lives and to do things. Even our public worship, when we gather together for worship. We should be doing things according to what God's word says. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, there's a reason why I wanted to read all of those verses. It's because just like in the previous characteristic of, of worship and giving, we have a personal responsibility to give. And this Paul, or sorry, Timothy was, had the gift of teaching. So what did he have a responsibility to do when, we, when people gathered for worship? To teach. Not everyone has the gift of teaching. Therefore, not everyone will be using that specific gift when in publicly and when we gather together for corporate worship. However, there are more people than just the pastor that are gifted in that. In our church, we have different ways to help people utilize that gift through Sunday schools and discipleship and different things like that. And if your gift isn't teaching, does that exempt you from the teaching part of worship? No, teachers have to have someone to teach. And so we are to all come and to learn from the teaching. Number five, encouraging. So in common practices of corporate worship, we have praying, singing and playing music, giving, teaching, preaching, and reading scriptures. And then five, encouraging. And I I almost didn't put this one in there, but every verse, (laughs) every passage that we have looked at today it has seemed to include admonishing and teaching or encouraging, exhortation, um, encourage one another, all these different phrases. And so this is something that I believe. And when I say encouraging, I don't just mean giving them, giving everybody a pep talk every time we're together. But, this, but sometimes that is needed, and sometimes correction is needed and, and encouragement and, hey, see that you're doing that and I love you and I really think that this is a bad move. That this is dangerous for you. Now you have to have love to be able to talk to someone like that. To be able to address them like that. But if you love someone are you going to correct them when they're headed toward danger? Yes. Those of you in here who are parents you know what I'm talking about. You're not going to let your child bite the electrical cord. You love them. You're going to rebuke them from doing that. Stop! No, bad boy. Oh, that's a dog. I'm sorry. But we're going to encourage encourage in different ways. And I want to go back to one of the passages we opened with for this Hebrews ten twenty four through twenty five. And while you're you're looking at that or turning there, we could talk about all of these different ways addressing one another in Ephesians five nineteen, um, in Acts twelve twelve they were praying for Peter so much so that the little girl who answered the door was scared and thought he was a ghost because he was supposed to be in prison. In Colossians three sixteen and 17, um, they're, it's teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing is a, a rebuke, a correction most of the time, uh, an admonishment. And then in giving, um, where each one must give as he has decided, not reluctantly, and, and it's together, and then in teaching, um, the first Timothy 4 11 through16 his teaching was to go to the exhortation um, according to verse 13. so then going back to Hebrews 10 24 through 25 and the encouragement was in the Acts 2 passage but in this passage and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and then verse 25 not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some is the habit of some but encouraging one another And so we're to stir up one another. We're to encourage one another. This is a part of public worship. And Now, we don't always do a great job of this. We don't always do a great job of several of these things. But this is supposed to be a part of our public worship. We're to look around us and and to see who needs encouragement. That might be a pat on the back. That might be, hey, let's go pray in the other room. That might be a, a myriad of things, but we are to encourage one, one another. And then the last thing that I want us to look at, and we're not going to go into detail on this, um, because in two weeks we're going to do one of these things. But the last thing that we're supposed to do is, are ordinances. This is a common practice of corporate worship, of when people worship together. And the ordinances that we as Southern Baptists look at and we believe are biblical um, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And last week we had a baptism, last Sunday morning, I think, was it the last two Sunday mornings? We've had two baptisms recently, and uh, that's exciting. If anybody else needs to get baptized, then come on. In fact, I I know of another baptism coming up soon. And so uh, this is where we publicly profess our belief in Jesus, and we do so by baptism. And baptism is simply, in, in fact, let's actually look at a verse here, Matthew 28, 19, That should be familiar to you guys because we have looked at it several times over the past few months. Uh, From the Great Commission, verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is a common thing that's done in corporate worship where people are baptized to tell the world, I'm following Jesus. There has been a change in my life. There has been a change in my heart. I am a Christian. And, And the reason... Uh, if you go in the New Testament, they were usually baptized in rivers and things like that. Hey, aren't we fancy? We have a baptistry. We can dunk people right here for your view and pleasure. And so uh, we have that opportunity and the privilege to be able to do that. And it is a way for us to all worship together. When someone is being baptized, it is about their following Jesus and their relationship with Jesus. But it's also about the body. And so that's an incredible thing. And then the Lord's Supper, the last thing I want us to look at. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 through 26. Um, and actually, we're not going to read all this. And the reason we're not going to read all this is because in a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at this in detail. Um, on September 29th, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And so I encourage you to come um, and to be here for that as we worship together through the Lord's Supper. But this is just something that Jesus himself told us to do just like he told us to go and baptize as we just read he told us to remember him and he and the example he gave was to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion when they were in the upper room and he gave them he broke bread and drank wine he told them that the bread represented his body that would be broken for them and the bread uh, sorry the wine represented his blood that was going to be spilled for him for them and we look back on that act and In the same way, we remember what Jesus has done. And the Lord's Supper can be an incredible time of worship for us where we remember just what it costs for us to be saved. And it costs Jesus' life. And so, um, that is number six. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at worship from a little bit different perspective. We're going to look at worship from the future. I'm not a prophet, but I do have a copy of Revelation. And so we're going to go to Revelation, and Revelation is looking ahead. As far as we know, it could be happening right now. But is looking ahead to, at the end of time, what things are going to look at, like and, and what, what's going on in heaven and what's going to be happening with all of us who are believers. And so... Last the last couple of weeks, we've talked about private worship, family worship. This week, public worship, corporate worship, coming together to worship. Um, and next week, we're going to see how this just the beauty of what this looks like when it is done um, from the heart and in spirit and truth. And so, uh, some sermons at the end of them, you are fired up, and, and there's I've. Preach this rousing message. I know, I know, I'm really good at that. You don't have to tell me. It's okay. Uh, Jake, just, I don't know, that look you just gave, it didn't seem like you agreed with that. We'll talk later. Um, But this message was more about we as a discipleship team meeting today at four o'clock. Church council, by the way, is at five, which is not a normal time because usually. We meet the first Sunday of the month, but since it was Labor Day, church council was the day at five. Um, anyway, the reason I want us to look at this is because we, as a discipleship team, have been trying to determine biblically what are some of the things that we should focus on. And private worship, public worship, were two of those things. And when we're looking at these things together, what I really want us to, to do and to realize is, is that we all have individual parts to play in this. If you are gifted. Musically, if you have a voice to lead, we are to make a joyful noise. I can do that, right? But it might take someone like uh, Tanya with a more, you know, I mean, if, you, if you're if you into more beautiful voices, um, then maybe Tanya should be helping lead, right? Or Kenny, because he has that little bit deeper voice than mine going on. Not quite Johnny Cash level, but... And so I'm not saying that you should lead in that way, but you should participate. All of us should participate from the heart in all of these ways in praying. Maybe you're not a public prayer. That is fine. But we should be privately praying, and we should be leading our families in prayer for those of us who are leaders of our family, and we should be participating in corporate prayer. We should be participating in singing and playing music. And if you're gifted, if you're a skilled musician, the Bible tells you, hey, let the skilled musicians play. Number three, giving. We should be participating in giving, teaching, preaching, and reading scriptures, encouraging one another, ordinances, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We should be participating in these things. And these are just some of the ways that we worship when we come together. And so my question to you is this, is privately... Are you worshiping? Are you organizing your life around Jesus? He is God, and we are going to live our life accordingly in a way that honors him for his glory, for the good of the people around us, for the good of our community, for the good of all, and most importantly, to the good of God, for the glory of God. Are we organizing our life around that? And then biblically, as a church, Are we doing the things that keep coming up over and over and over again every time that we see the New Testament church worshiping, we see these things? And there's lots of things I could have told us today that we shouldn't do, and those are sermons for another day that the Bible also says. But here are some things that we should do. And so are you doing these things? And during the invitation that we're about to have, what I want to encourage you to do is is if you have not been participating in some of these things, then talk to God about that. Go to God right now and tell him that you're sorry for not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing together. And if if there's any of these things that convict you, it will be different for each one of us, then go to God with those things. And then thank God for the opportunity that we have to do these things without fear of reprisal, that we can play our instruments loud without the fear that the next-door neighbor is going to hear us and report us to the police. We have the freedom to do these things. And that we have a church to come to. That we have other believers to worship with. And that God would help us to be the church that he has called us to be. And we would be who we need to be in this community and beyond. For his glory. And then if you haven't been baptized. If, if you haven't, if you've never taken the Lord's Supper. Well, you can be baptized next week. We can, we can get the water ready for you and, and be ready for that. And if you want to be baptized, then come see me during this invitation. And if you have given your life to the Lord, if you have put your faith in him and you are following him and you've never been baptized, then let's do that. Let's baptize. And then the Lord's Supper, September 29th. We're going to come back together here and we're going to worship the Lord together by remembering him and remembering what he did for us by participating in the Lord's Supper together, by taking it together. And so where are you this morning? How is God convicting you? You respond in whatever way he's leading. Let's pray, let's pray and we'll have our invitation. Lord, we love you, and I just pray that during this invitation that we would respond to you in whatever way that you lead. God, help us, Lord, to love you and and fill us with a desire to worship you and help us to worship you in our homes and with our families, but Lord, help us to be committed to coming together to worship you with one another. Help us to not neglect the meeting together of the saints as some are in the habit of doing as Hebrews 24 and 25 told us. Help us to come together and to worship you. And I pray that as we sing this final song that we would worship you in song now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.